Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Really excited for today's guest. She's done two TED Talks. Her most recent is about intermittent fasting and has gone viral in a very short period of time. She's killing it. She's an awesome lady, got a ton of knowledge, and I'm really excited for her to dive into intermittent fasting, what it means, and how it can affect your body and your performance. So super excited. If you guys haven't subscribed yet, go hit that subscribe button. And at the end of the show, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Um, this is a really important topic. So we, we discuss a lot of different things involving nutrition and health, and intermittent fasting is the main thing. So get out your pens and notepads, take notes, because it is very informative. So I look forward to diving into this, guys. Cynthia Thurlow is coming right up. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is a nurse practitioner, functional nutritionist, two-times TEDx speaker, world traveler, wanderluster, and a mother to all boys, including two doodles. After going through a health scare this year that put her in the hospital for 13 days, she was able to battle back through multiple complications and go on to give her second TEDx talk, which went 100% viral within one day. It currently has 450,000 views and is still climbing. It's a must-see. You guys have to check it out. She is all about turning setbacks into powerful motivators. She's exactly what we need on the show. The adversity is what makes us, and it's just so exciting to have somebody that's been able to go through this stuff and you know, to be able to practice it in their own life. So really excited to have her on. Cynthia Thurlow, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and thank you for that nice introduction. And I do have to share with your listeners, I have 1.6 million views as of today. Oh, Wow. Yeah, it went complete. Like when I say crazy viral, crazy, crazy viral. So yeah, awesome. That's it. I'll make sure that I uh, I'll, I'll say that in our <laughs> intro too because that's that's massive. Yeah, yeah, and it grows really quickly. It's um, these things happen fast, especially with your your topic. It, it was you know right topic, right time uh, on so many levels. I mean, I, I have to laugh because typically the organizers will let you know when your talk is going to go live. They'll give you an estimation. I had no idea. I was actually at a swim event with my kids, and a friend of mine on Twitter said, um, "Hey, your new TEDx is up." And so I remember I looked at it and I said to my husband, "It's been up twenty minutes and it had nine hundred views." I was like, "Oh boy, this is going to be different than my last talk." Um, and then it was just it just. I mean, it was like every day it became a, like a running joke. My boys are 13 and 11. And so every day they would check it. They're like, mom, you're at, you know, this many hundred thousand. And then it was like every day. So they did this countdown until it hit a million and then it just kept going. So it's all been very humbling. I'm so grateful. And, and obviously the message was really needed and really resonated with men and women, which is great. Yeah, perfect. You know what? Let's dive into this. Let's talk about this talk before. And then we're going to get into your story. But while we're on it, let's talk about this TED Talk. This one was about intermittent fasting yeah. and how important it is and you know, how it can improve your life in so many different ways. Maybe just talk us through this and you know, how important it is for you and you know, the impact that this talk has had. Yeah. So you know, just from the perspective of someone that's worked in medicine for over 20 years and just watching these escalating rates of obesity and diabetes and you know, just people getting sicker and sicker. 
Um, you know, intermittent fasting to me is a technique that anyone can learn, including healthcare providers. You know, I'm, I'm hoping the talk will inspire more healthcare providers to discuss this with their patients, but we need something other than pills. You know, I, I, I'm very much pro-Western medicine. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have my warrior friends that are out there fighting the good fight, doing really great things for their patients. But I think beyond pills and interventions, we need to be thinking on a much more simplistic level and really having direct conversations with our patients and our clients about changing their diet. And one of the things that you can really do to dial in on um, you know, improving health and wellness is to change the feeding window. You know, you're, you either exist in a fed or a fasted state, but really changing this feeding window, you know, shortening it so that your body is getting more digestive rest. You are tapping into some key um, physiologic processes in the body that really, you know, our, our ancestors used to tap into when food was scarce. They did more fasting than feeding and, and we're completely the opposite now. Um, there's so much nutritional dogma that I was trained with and that I have experienced throughout my lifetime that we're coming to find is really detrimental to our health. So when you're talking about intermittent fasting, my favorite kind of strategy is to talk about a 16-8, which means 16 hours out of the day, you're fasting. And a lot of that time is spent sleeping. So when people hear that number, it freaks everyone out. But I always like to remind them, like, listen, you are probably sleeping, hopefully, at least seven, eight hours a night. So that's already taking care of a good chunk of that time. And for many people, it really just means skipping your breakfast and focusing on staying hydrated. You can drink coffee and tea. And for very few people that I found, most people find that it really works well, even those that are exercise. You know, I, I know we're both avid exercisers. Um, and so you can fit it into that schedule. You can still lift heavy. You can still do conditioning classes. You can still dance. You can still do things. You can still run and be in a fasted state because your body will get much more naturally adept at tapping into um, you know, full fuel sources that are much more efficient than sugar is. Um, you know, glycogen is a substance in the body where we create stored sugar, but, uh, you know, our body does a really efficient way of keeping our blood sugar stable. That's always the concern. People think they're going to starve if they're not eating every two to three hours. And when I remind them that that's actually profoundly detrimental to our health to eat every two to three hours, we're never getting that digestive rest. We're never giving our body a break. Um, and we're, you know, keeping this influx of insulin going up and down throughout the day, which, you know, puts us kind of into a fat storage mode. And that's what most people, especially women, don't want to be dealing with as they're getting older. So that's in a nutshell. You know, I always say you're either in a fed state or a fasted state and just checking in with yourself and saying, okay, is this the time for me to be breaking my fast and to start eating or no? Is this still a fasting time period for me? And just focusing on something else. Most of what people experience when they think they're hungry is boredom emotional eating patterns, um, or they just are dehydrated. So I encourage them to stay hydrated, distract yourself, go for a walk, um, you know, do just about anything other than, you know, feeding yourself beyond outside of that feeding window. Yeah. I, this, that intermittent fasting has been the biggest, has the most profound effect in my life since I've, I started doing it. I started learning about it. I, I remember there was a book called the warrior diet. Mm -hmm. I think it was Ori Holfemecker or something. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, he's not really in the, in the spotlight now, but there was talk of having this during the day, graze, have your nuts or your fruit. And then at night have your big meal. Mm -hmm. and even that back in the day was like, I remember trying to tell somebody that was a nutritionist, 
Mm-hmm. They were like, that is wrong. Right. You're gonna, like all this stuff is like this like taboo topic, right? Mm-hmm. But that was kind of, and then he got on Dr. Mercola and we started, he started to get into it more. And then I started to learn through like Dave Asprey, the Bulletproof and all mm-hmm. that. And then it kind of evolved into this and it's been so massive. It and really has been. It's really amazing what it can do. And you, you enjoy food more when you kind of build that resilience, like, Hey, it's not time to eat right now. It's time to focus, right. you know, right. let's, let's eat later. Like let's, yep. and you know, what are some of the challenges that you have faced along the way of trying to kind of change this system that's been eat every two hours, you know, even in the bodybuilding industry, mm-hmm. so many industries are, you got to eat, you got to eat, you're going to starve. And obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously that has a lot to do with selling food, right? The more hungry you are, the more food they sell. What kind of issues and kind of backlash have you had to deal with along this process? Well, it's interesting you mentioned the, the bodybuilding crew. I have a friend who I respect enormously. Um, she's a very successful pro. And um, I worked with her last year for a couple months just to kind of create a new training program. I was bored. I wanted to do something different. And I told her, I said, we can't even talk about food because I don't eat ever. I don't eat many meals. I don't believe in them. Um, I know it works for you. That's great, but that's not my mentality. So part of it's, you know, putting to rest the concept of mini meals and eating, you know, throughout the day, you know, having to, you know, have like a breakfast, a mid morning snack, then having lunch, having a mid afternoon snack, then having something for dinner, then having something before you go to bed. I mean, that's a big one. I think a lot of people think they're going to starve. Honest to God, I think people are convinced they're going to starve. And I try to explain to people like water is something you intrinsically cannot do without. Yeah. You can go. And, and for many people that have a lot of adipose tissue, they can go a whole while before they really are going to starve. So it's reminding people that you can go without food. You can just drink fluids um, and stay quite hydrated and stay quite comfortable. I think the other concern that I hear quite a bit is, well, how am I going to work out? I need food to be able to work out. I have my protein shake. Before I start my workout, I have one immediately afterwards. I have to eat a meal two hours after that. And I'm like, you know, before I got sick, I was lifting fairly heavy for being a tiny person. And so I would, I would say that um, there's always that concern. How is this going to impact my exercise? How is this going to impact my gains? How is this going to impact my lifting? You know, it's those kinds of kind of limiting beliefs. And I always recommend, I'm like, just try it. You know, if you are more fat adapted, meaning that you're tapping into fat stores for energy stores, you are designed to be able to exercise, effortlessly get up. Um, You know, I think the other thing is there are a lot of shift workers in my life. And so they're always trying to figure out, I have a lot of, it's interesting. I have quite a, like a a crew on Twitter that will send me messages, they're physicians. And so they'll send me messages and I'm kind of like their pep talk queen. Um, And I tell them like, you can absolutely do an overnight shift and fast. You can absolutely, you know, fuel your body appropriately. And so they were stunned. I mean, these are physicians who I, you know, respect and admire. And they were surprised. They're like all this dogma that we've been literally fed over these years is so antiquated that it's time for more medical professionals, more healthcare. I always thought the wellness warriors, um, all those out there like yourself that are just helping to dispel all the myths that are out there about health and wellness and especially in particular to fasting. So those are probably the ones I hear the most. Um, people are concerned that they're somehow not going to stoke their metabolic fire if they're not eating constantly. And I remind them, if you really look at the scientific data, you're making yourself fat. And that's mm. you know, usually a good starting point. And even if you think about it this way, even if you eat garbage in your feeding window, if you're eating in a shorter feeding window, you're still going to consume less calories. So mm. 
food matters. It absolutely does. But that fasting window, if you stick within the fasting window, for many people, they'll lose weight just by not snacking and not by eating in the evening and not drinking excessive amounts of alcohol and et cetera. How have you noticed with the eating before bed? So are you, what's your eating window and how long before you go to sleep? Because I found, and even uh, Dr. Sanchez Panda talks about the circadian rhythm mm-hmm. and all that and mm-hmm. how important it is. Do you incorporate that as your, in your structure so that you have that room before bed in that window or do you, does it affect you as much? And maybe what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So interesting. So I, interestingly enough, I had an ongoing discussion with someone who very much believes that if you don't eat breakfast, you're messing up your circadian rhythm patterns, which is separate from what you asked me about. Mm. Um, my feeding window is 10 to six. Mm. So I break my fast around 10 and, and let's be frank. If I were still working as a nurse practitioner in the hospital, that would be impossible to do it that early. However, because I'm, you know, I'm self-employed, I'm, you know, an entrepreneur now, I can do that. I usually do 10 to 6. So my last meal is at 6. I'm usually in bed. Um, this will embarrass me, but 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm out. Um, I'd like to be in bed early. I'm usually up early to exercise. So that works really well for me. By then, I've had at least three hours of digestion on board mm. uh, before I get into bed. I don't like going to bed full. I'm not someone who likes to snack before bed. I just kind of mentally say the kitchen's closed after I eat dinner and I'm done. Um, and that works well for me. Now, I have lots of clients that'll say 12 to 8 works better. And I'm like, listen, it is totally flexible. It's what works best for you. I just personally do not like going to bed with a full stomach. I just don't feel comfortable. And it's not that I overeat. I just prefer not feeling like I've just eaten and laying down. Um, so that's generally my feeding window. But I have, I mean, I, I have clients that do a six-hour feeding window. I have clients that do a, you know, a seven-hour feeding window. And I always remind them that's what's nice. There's no right or wrong way to do it. You just want to give your body sufficient amount of time for your, for your food to digest so that by the next morning after you've gotten up, you've showered, you've exercised, you're heading to work, you know when you're intrinsically hungry. You recognize those hunger cues much more differently than the years of, you know, I get out of bed and I felt like I had to drink a protein shake en route to the, to the gym because I was conditioned to believe that I had to have 40 grams of you know, protein either before or right after exercise. And so I would go into that mentality and I ended up feeling bloated. I didn't feel great. And when you're not consuming real whole food, this is a whole pet peeve of mine. You know, we're a society that is so fixated on quick fixes. So everyone's eating protein bars and shakes. And I recognize there is a time and a place, but if that is what you are sustaining yourself with nutritionally all day long, your body's never going to register that as real food. So I'd rather someone sit down and actually have a meal um, than be rushing around, you know, drinking a protein shake, trying to run around and do errands because you know, liquid calories don't satiate us like a real meal where we have to chew food and swallow it. Yeah. Oh, that's for sure. There's What's too your much. window like? Well, it's, here's the thing. This is, I, I have no problem fasting up until, you know, two o'clock, whatever. My trouble is the, the late, the eight o'clock, nine o'clock, you know, my girlfriend's home, we're sitting, yeah. she's watching TV, she's bringing out the cheese or whatever. That's my, that's my challenge. During yeah. the day, no problem. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing also. I, I, in the back of my mind, some people say breaking the fast, you break it with coffee, you break it with tea. Some people say you don't. So I'm always in the back of my mind. I'm like, should I be having this? Should I be having water? You know, I guess it all depends on your insulin. Does it, does it spike your insulin or not? What are your thoughts on breaking the fast? Because yeah, it, there's that's, so many things. Like, <laughs> yes, Dave Asprey about this. 
and and or even Dr. Mercola, they they think mm-hmm. drinking having poly, having polyphenols like coffee tea during a fast is good. There's met a lot of different ways and having a bit of fat in there. But then there's other people like Rob Wolf who say it's calories. You're still yep. burning calories. What's yeah. your thoughts on, on that? That's a great question. And I, I honestly get asked that question like almost every day. So it's a great one. <laughs> um, I personally drink water. I am not a coffee drinker. I'm one of those strange people, never adapted a taste for it at all. I will occasionally have tea. I think it's unrealistic to ask people to not consume any caffeine in a fasted state. I'm fine with my um, patients or clients consuming water, plain coffee, plain tea. I'm not a bulletproof coffee fan. I get it. People want to have those, you know, those fats, MCT oils, butter, et cetera. I think, you know, you're, it's kind of a sticky wicket if you're really trying to remain fasted. So I'm kind of a purist when I say that I think, you know, um, coffee and tea are fine, but not with sugar, not with Splenda, not with Stevia. Um, every day I get another question. How about Stevia? No, it's still, it's still sugar. It's still sugar. I mean, it's a better form than a processed sugar, but you know, it's still sugar. Uh, and so, you know, generally my, my frame of mind is caffeine is fine without sugar, without cream, without fats, water is fine. And that's where it stops. But it's interesting. There's a pretty well-known fitness guru who says, well, if it's under 50 calories, it doesn't count. I'm like, that's a crutch. I mean, if you're first starting out and your option is, you know, I, I need to have a little bit of cream in my coffee because I'm going to die without it. Well, just understand that you're technically no longer fasted. But if you need that to get through that first week, or if you have to do a couple days um, to get through that to kind of mentally kind of gear yourself into being fasted. But I tend to be a purist. Um, someone told me I was a little bit what did they say, totalitarian the other day? And I said, no, I just think we don't need to make it complicated. Let's just make it really straightforward. Um, and for many people, they feel like they need the caffeine in the morning. I just don't. I'm, again, I'm one of those weird people. I am completely uncaffeinated and I'm a get up and go at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning kind of gal. Oh, uh, you're, don't ever touch it then. Don't ever touch caffeine. <laughs> I don't know how I worked nights in the ER years ago. I think uh, I used to do jumping jacks. It was brutal. I, I, I think about it now, but I was also a whole lot younger. So I think that was probably in my favor. You know, I started, I started drinking coffee just because when I was younger, I, I started, I think I got it about when I was 19. I was like, why do people drink this stuff? And I drank it and I was like, wow. I, and then I just got hooked after that. And you know, when you're having hangovers and stuff, you yeah. start drinking it before you know it, it's, it's part of your, it's part of your thing. So um, what about, so in that window, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of choices you can make. And let's say for a high-performance athlete. So, for instance, right now, I am training for a boxing fight in like 75 days. This wow. is a lot different. So, I'm doing hard, rigorous training. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, I'm talking some of the – I used to play junior hockey, very hard workout. These are the hardest workouts I've ever done in my life. Wow. Every time I'm served humble pie, <laughs> I, I'm like, this is this – is, you know, to the point, so I'm at the point where like, okay, it's great. You know, I've done the, I do the fasting. I do pretty good nutrition, but you know, at what level as a high performer, do they need to eat? Do they need to stretch that? Or do you need yeah. to just feast once a day and just have as much, like, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, do you ever get asked on that? Like, I, I, I do. And so, um, you know, obviously a, a conditioned athlete or a competitive athlete, it's a different, a different animal, if you will. Yeah. Um, certainly different than the typical, you know, suburban, you know, man or woman. So what I would say is, you know, your performance 
uh, when you're working out is really critical. So if you feel like maybe you haven't gotten enough macros in protein, fat, and carbohydrates in, certainly protein and, and fat are going to be important for having to kind of fuel through that. But what I would say is I would use your performance as a barometer. If you feel like you're dragging, kind of checking in with yourself to find out, did I have enough carbohydrates the day before? You know, for you, if you're, if you're exercising at that degree of intensity, um, do you do carb cycling or anything like that? That's the thing is like, I, I've just been winging it. We just started and I, now I'm getting a perspective and I'm thinking, okay, well, if I need to lean out here a, a significant amount, but I don't want to sacrifice my workouts, yeah. I'm kind of, I don't usually, I, I haven't had workout or nutrition proper structure since hockey days, years ago, like 20 yeah. years ago, right? And things are different. Yeah. So now, well, what I was taught then is completely different. We used to load up on lasagnas and pizza yep. the night before, like junior hockey players. Yeah, we want to we want to replete those glycogen stores. I'm like, that doesn't really work that yeah. way. And Subways, yeah. like our, our bus would be full of pizza mm-hmm. and Subway, you know, back then. And it's like, I always wondered why I had this lactic acid in my legs all the time. Mm-hmm. And well, when I ate other foods such as like eggs or like healthier foods, I felt better. But for yeah. some reason, we were programmed. So now- They still, I, they still say it. I mean, my, yeah. my boys swim competitively. And unfortunately, the nutritionist that works with our swim team program probably doesn't like me um, because I've gotten to a point now I don't hold back. I'm like, that's, that's complete awesome. garbage advice. <laughs> I just can't even hold back. So I think, you know, the big thing that I say, like, even with my kids, like when they're swimming competitively, it's all about protein and carbs, like around their workouts. Beyond that, like fats at some other point, you know, during the day, but not right around their workouts. So I think it's all about, you know, how do you feel like you're getting through your workouts? I would track your macros. I'm not usually a huge fan of doing that because most of my clients are women and it gets them fixated on numbers. But I think for you, that would be valuable to be able to check in with yourself and say, okay, yesterday I had... 250 grams of carbohydrates. Is that enough? Like, do I feel like I have enough energy to get through my workouts? I think for you, that might be valuable to track your macros and you may need to open up that feeding window um, just because your body is going to be burning so many more calories, you know, efficiently because you're, you're doing quite a bit of conditioning. So I would say it'll be interesting to see. I would definitely for at least a week or two, track your macros and see how you feel in terms of energy levels um, and yeah. performance. I think that would be a really great way to gauge. Like I know for myself and I am by no means, <laughs> I am not a conditioned athlete. I am a fairly fit suburban mom. Um, I can tell when I lift heavy, typically if I haven't fueled properly the day before, even if it's as simple as hydration, like the hydration piece for you is also really crucial, but also getting some electrolytes in. Um, and I'm not sure what your diet kind of gravitates towards, you know, nowadays people seem to be in one camp or another. Some people are keto and some people are primal or paleo um, or ancestral health stuff. I mean, whatever it is that people are doing, I always say it's more about what works for you and your body, what fuels your body. I carb cycle because that works for me. If I lift, I do more carbs. If I'm not lifting, I do less carbs. I do low carbs, more fats. Um, because that just works well for me personally. But it, I think you might need to tinker a little bit to see what works. And definitely um, lasagna and subs are probably not going to be your best options. And that's the funny thing is that, you know, I was a high school athlete and I think about what my coach made me eat before games. And I laugh because mm. I would never let my kids eat. I mean, and of course it's different. I graduated from high school a long time ago, but um, you know, we just know so much more. There's actually like real nutrition science, real exercise science that's guiding a lot of the principles that people are doing. Um, and you know, I'll have to think about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask around because I am not a, an intermittent fasting 
expert for performance athletes, but I have plenty of friends who are athletes and I'm going to ask them if they have someone that they recommend in particular, but I would say tracking macros would be key. Mm. And then maybe even looking into carb cycling that may help you because it'll, you know, it could adjust some of your glycogen stores based on your activity. Yeah. Because I'm, and I'm sure like a lot of people listening here, a lot of, a lot of my listeners were, are caught between the keto and the low carb and the performance and the getting lean. Okay. You know, and there's just so many conflicting things, right? Because I love, I, when I tapped into keto, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt clear. I, my conversations I'm flowing, but when I tried to play hockey or when I've done things high performance where I got to have, you know, high intensity, I felt like it lacked a bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit apprehensive about keeping that keto into my, keeping the keto approach into my, the workouts because I feel like I'll sacrifice performance and I don't want to get caught stuck. So yeah. it's kind of like, I got to go to the old school way of adding more carbs, but 250, that 250, I feel like for me, I'm like, that's like taboo now. Cause I, yeah. I try and keep it under a hundred even, but well, and it's, it's all bio-individuality. So that's what yeah. it comes down to. Like keto works well. And there are certainly people like I use Twitter as the best example because there's yeah. a huge community of like people on Twitter that are low carb, keto, primal, paleo. I yeah. mean, you name it. There's someone at carnivores. Carnivores. Yeah, are yeah, right that, now. I want to talk about that with you. Um, but don't, but don't bring up the vegans because they, they tend to not like me a whole lot, yeah. which is a whole other, which is yeah. a whole other issue. Yeah. But what I would say is that if you feel like on keto, which tends to be higher fat, low carb, you know, good amount of protein, then it's not the right thing for you to do while you're training. Like yeah. me personally, I like, I kind of am a happy I am a happy lower carb person. I am not keto because I just, I don't function on 50 grams or less a day, but probably good for me on a given day. Like today's a good example. I'm probably right at 50. Tomorrow when I lift, I might be 125. I just don't do a lot of carbs, but I need enough because especially for women, you need at least 50 grams of net carbs per day to actually get good intrinsic you know, dialing in on your thyroid hormone. So I always remind people, if you feel like you're just dragging and you've been doing keto for a while or, or just low carb for a while, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It may just not be the right mm. macros um, breakdown for you. So what I would say is trial and error is key. I think whatever's hot, everyone wants to check out. I get asked all the time about <laughs> keto. Keto seems to work really well for guys. It, it's great for debulking, meaning if you have a lot of weight to lose, it's a great jump start. I don't think keto is ideal long-term for most women and certainly not most men. Mm. Now I will have daggers thrown at me for saying that, but I just think that bio-individuality rules ultimately always comes back to what works best for you and your body. And, you know, we all like labels, you know, it's like, how do I identify myself? And so what I prefer saying is, for example, I am gluten, grains, and dairy-free. And people go, oh my God, how the heck do you get enough carbs in? And I'm like, I eat potatoes, I eat root veggies, I eat squash. And trust me, there are days where I want to just throw in the towel because I just don't love squash. I don't love sweet potatoes, but I eat them because they're good for me. Mm. Um, and I do some you know, glow glycemic foods. Like I, I like, I really like berries. So that's usually where I'll get the rest of them kind of dialing in. But anything is doable if you want it badly enough. And I would say maybe that's the thing to do in this whole like gluten-free economy that people are in right now. People are so fixated on, I've got to buy gluten-free and then they're getting more exposure example to grains. They're getting more rice and, you know, you start thinking about what is rice doing to them. And, you know, I just find that for a lot of people, as they get older, people that are north of 35 and 40, 
they just don't tolerate the same foods that they did when they were younger. So it's all about what works best for you. You know, this is, this is, I'm glad you brought up carnivore because this has just <laughs> blown my mind. Yeah. I just love this talk so much because <laughs> I, I had Dr. Paul Saladino on here. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a huge advocate for the carnivore. Mm-hmm. And at first, you know, I was, I was following another doctor, Dr. Barker Baker, and he's mm-hmm. he's rib ribeyes and stuff, and I just yes. can't make is sense. Is that Sean Baker? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is he's which the is, Twitter guy. Yep. Yeah, which is like so. It's so awesome because I just love perspectives, mm-hmm. and I love. I'm I'm I've just realized that you got to have an open mind, and you got to yes. be like, okay, hold on a second, what is going on here? Because one minute I was taught this, the next minute I'm taught that, the next minute, and I'm like, okay. So Paul comes on the show, and the guy just has so much knowledge. Mm-hmm on how ancestral health and eating organ meats and eating meats. And I'm just like blown away. Cause I heard him on Ben Greenfield. I messaged yep. him. I said, bro, yep. you got to come on my show. And he's like, yeah, done. And like, he's the nicest guy in the world. Good. And he's just so, it was hard for me when I've left that conversation. I'm like, how can I not take this serious? But then yeah. I go and I think about, well, I even asked him, I said, how would you, how would I perform at a high intensity? with this diet. He just says the reason people can't is because they haven't had the time to adapt to it. Right. Yeah, fat adapted. And, and it takes a long time. So is that feeling of not feeling tapped into keto just because we haven't given it time? Do we have enough electrolytes or, you know, what's going on here? So it's really fascinating. Because well, I, think, I think people really have to be tuned into their own bodies. Yeah, I mean, that's what sure. it comes down to. Like, I know that people don't like to hear that. And we largely as a society are so disconnected from our bodies. Yeah. You really have to like be in your body. Like, how do I feel? Especially for me coming back from my healthcare hiccups earlier this year, I got very, very attuned to how does my body feel? Because when I got out of the hospital, you know, I was largely eating a carnivore diet because I had to be on a low residue diet because mm. there was still so much inflammation in my gut. Um, and what made me laugh was I had half the physicians I was seeing told me to go home and eat ice cream and ensure, which is disgusting. And Ugh. let's be frank, I, I lost so much weight in the hospital. I looked so sick. Like it was like insult to injury. I got home and like nothing fit me. I was like in, you know, my little Lululemon pants. And my husband was like, your legs look like sticks. Um, and so what my, my other half of my physicians, thankfully my gastroenterologist and my surgeon who were fantastic and they know how I eat normally. And so we, what we agreed to is I was going to have largely a carnivore diet and I craved meat. Like it was my job. My poor body was starving. And then I had very overcooked vegetables. That was all I was allowed to eat for the first month. I mean, I didn't, I, I craved, I wanted salad so badly and I couldn't have any of it. Couldn't have anything that was raw, you know, no raw vegetables, no yeah. fruit, nothing. Um, just to make it as easy to digest as possible. And I sprang back to life really quickly, which I attribute to the fact that my body was able to assimilate that diet. But the point being, we have to be in our bodies to determine what works well. Like I'm so attuned to what I eat and how I feel after I eat that I'll say, okay, well that meal worked really well for me. So I know that's a meal I should be eating, you know, for lunch every day. Um, Like I had cauliflower rice this afternoon and some avocado and like shredded chicken. Mm. Perfect. Like lots of energy, totally clear minded. I feel great. Um, you know, if I, if I don't eat the right combination of foods, I'm attuned to it. Do I get sleepy? Do I feel hangry? Do I feel like I'm hungry an hour or two later? So I think that's a skill that people really need to learn, especially when you're hearing from different professionals and they're talking about different diets and how they work for them or their, their patients. It's really dialing into what works for you. 
So yeah, no, definitely. What, let's. What happened exactly with your scare? Because I, w- I really want to get into this. Yeah, I yeah. Hear about you know, because it's everybody goes through stuff. It's it's crazy, and I, and the more I do this, the more I, conversations I have, and you dive into people, and it's like wow, you know, these stories, and yeah. you know how you were able to come through that, and then give such an awesome talk. Maybe yeah. tell us about you know, what happened and, and what led up to that and, you know, what kind of what you went through? Yeah. So uh, for the first time ever, I was able to accompany my husband on a business trip because my mother's retired now so she could watch her kids. And so we flew to Hawaii and I was like, this is great. I'm going to be in Hawaii for a week. I was working on my TED talk. Um, you know, my, my other talk had just come out. So we was pushing that on social media. And within 48 hours of coming back from Hawaii, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had terrible like nausea and vomiting. I thought I maybe I picked up a bug. Um, and then the next morning I woke up and I couldn't even get out of bed. I was just so ill. And later that afternoon I developed the worst abdominal pain I'd ever had. And I told my husband, I was like, I need to go to the ER, which he took very seriously. We actually left our kids assuming, you know, we wouldn't be there that long. Um, and little did I know I wasn't going to come home again for quite a while. Um, but when I got to the emergency room, so here, here's what I would preface. I'm normally like my normal my blood pressure and my pulse are pretty slow and pretty low and that's normal for me. So when I got to the emergency room, everything was within normal ranges. I wasn't running a fever. I couldn't I couldn't stand up. I couldn't sit down. I was so uncomfortable that they brought me back and it took them a little while to figure out that I was legitimately sick. Um, and, and at one point, you know, they call it the impending sense of doom, which patients have always taught me about. And it's when you feel like you're going to die. If they don't figure it out, you're going to die. And that, I had this impending sense of doom. Um, and I remember saying to the ER physician, I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just know I'm very sick. And so it turned out my appendix had ruptured. And um, at the same time, my entire length of my colon was inflamed. So I was too sick to take to surgery. And so the surgeon came to see me and her first statement was, if I take you to surgery tonight, you will lose the entire length of your colon. I was like, no, 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 no. I need my colon. <laughs> I need my colon. I was like, time out. We are not going to surgery. Um, so I was, I was imploring upon them to give my body some time, um, to try to fight back. And within two days, my small bowel obstruction, I had a small bowel obstruction. Um, I was really, really sick and they couldn't, you know, by, by five or six days, I mean, I hadn't eaten anything in over a week. Um, and they had to start IV nutrition because I was losing weight. I lost 10 pounds the first week. And so, um, they had to start some IV nutrition and then my surgeon came in again and said, I just don't know why you're not turning around, you know, and these are all people who had worked with me and knew me. I had five different specialists seeing me and, um, it turned out that I had some abscesses, um, in my, my peritoneum, which is your abdominal cavity, which is why I was not getting better. So that special kind of doctor and interventional radiologist actually had to put a drain into each one of those, um, to help drain them out. And then I started to turn around Um, And so I was in the hospital for almost two weeks. I went home with drains and IV lines. Um, I had a solid one month of IV um, antibiotics and antifungals. I had four more procedures after I left the hospital and I ended up developing another complication, which is a fistula. So a tunnel that doesn't belong between my, um, my appendix and my large intestine. And so four days before TEDx, I had my drain pulled. So we were, we had this whole plan B, like plan B is if I have to go to TEDx with a drain in, what are we going to do? Um, but the entire time I was in the hospital, the two things that I thought about were I wanted to get home to my boys and my husband and I wanted to do TEDx. Um, the, 
God bless the curators. They weren't sure. They actually called like a, a video meeting with my coach and, and the curator because they were concerned. They wanted to be able to see that I looked okay <laughs> um, because I had missed all these deadlines for things I had to submit. And I told them, I said, no, I actually, this was part of my recovery. I, I wanted to get home and I wanted to be able to prepare for this talk. And so um, 27 days after I was discharged, I gave my second TEDx and the rest is history. I actually felt well enough to do it, but I was really, you know, I looked skinny. Like that's the one thing I was trying to explain to someone. I said, I picked a dress that didn't make me look quite so thin. It made me look kind of normal. Um, so it's definitely one of those things where I would say that, you know, just having that perseverance and, um, you know, desire to, to, to share that message was a huge um, part of my healing journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's massive. And a lot of people would have said, would probably just quit and assume that they're not going to be able to do it now. Right. Because exactly, exactly. And then, so I, I went to South Carolina, gave my talk and then a week and a half later I had my appendix out. <laughs> so oh. I was there with a ruptured. So that was the ongoing joke. They're like, we're not sure anyone's actually given a talk before with a ruptured appendix. And I was like, woo. <laughs> so that's not university of adversity. I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, awesome. I kept, I kept calling myself a badass. I was like, you know, I'm kind of a badass. Um, <laughs> Cause I, I t and I told my kids, I said, it just goes to show you if you want something badly enough, you can make it happen. And so that was part of this manifestation. I'm going to take something um, good out of something that was so bad. Like I'm like, honestly, the process of being hospitalized as a healthcare provider was one of the worst things I've ever been through in my entire life. I jokingly say I have PTSD, but I do think I have a little bit, um, but in my mind, uh, I had to make something good come out of something so bad. And yeah. I have no doubt that people hearing that story will realize that, you know, you can have bad things happen to you. And, and by no means am I comparing myself. I have friends and family and patients I took care of that had far worse things that they went through, but this is the worst thing I had ever gone through. And so, you know, for me, I, I look back and I just say, I've had one hell of a year, you know, it's yeah. high highs and low lows and, you know, a little bit in between. So. Well, to be able to give a viral talk like that is pretty awesome. It's, it's totally pretty... crazy. It's totally crazy. I think that's the one thing that, um, you know, I, I say all the time, like I'm, I'm grateful and humbled and feet are still on the ground. I just want to use it as an opportunity to be able to, you know, spread that message. And, and the one thing that's so comforting is, the feedback that I've gotten from, you know, thousands of people, um, you know, men and women is, you know, I've gone back to listen to your talk multiple times. You've changed my life. I've lost 10 pounds since doing intermittent fasting, or you've given me hope that, you know, I can turn my health around. I mean, it's just been really, really gratifying. So for that, I am just, you know, I, there are no words for how that makes me feel. It makes me feel really privileged and, and blessed. That's amazing. I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about your, your saying about being in the hospital mm -hmm. and having to see it from that perspective, you know, because we had talked about before the show, like, you know, trying to keep that positive mindset. Mm -hmm. and, and how about dealing with, this is a huge issue, and this is something I wanted to talk about as well, is the hospital food. Oh. And why, <laughs> this is, you know, because I, I lost my dad to cancer and grandparents and all these kind of, and I, and I had to witness them try and feed them this, this horrible food and give them these insurers that it just doesn't make any sense to me mm -hmm. at all. No. What was that perspective like? Because 
nobody seems to have an answer on why hospital food is like that. Nobody understands. It's like you go there and have some jello, have some of the worst food on the planet and give it to the person at the most vulnerable state where they need the most at any time that they need the most broccoli or grass fed beef or right. whatever. Right. Exactly. Like, exactly. But give them the worst stuff at the worst time. Like how, what, what is going on with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a conditioned environment that we're still very carb centric, you know, in the hospital and, you know, with the best of intentions. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's processed junk because that's what's easiest to prepare. Um, you know, for myself, I never, I mean, I would look at a can of insurer that they were feeding my patients and I would cringe. Um, so obviously, you know, the first week and a half, I wasn't able to eat anything. And initially they, they, let me have like broth. And I, I can't tell you, it was probably the crappiest MSG laden broth ever. It tasted amazing. Cause I was just so happy to eat something. I was like, I can drink broth. This is fantastic. Um, and I actually did eat the jello cause I was just that desperate, which gives you a sense of <laughs> how skewed my perspective was. <laughs> yeah. But I agree with you when they sat, so they actually sent the head dietitian over to me probably cause I was a gigantic pain in the ass. Um, cause I even fought them when they were giving me TPN, which is the liquid nutrition, which is soy based. And I don't do oh. soy. And I said, don't you have organic? And my cousin who was a physician, she put her hand on my shoulder and she was with me. She's like my big sister. She was like, let me make something clear to you. If you don't eat, you're going to die. So you need to turn your brain off and you need to get this stuff. Like there are no other options. You either get this or you die. And I was like, fine, I get this. Um, you know, GMO soy laden garbage that I was, oh. that they were giving me for like a, a week and a half, but I didn't die. So that's, you know, I always say like, I, I can work on the rest. I can work on my gut health afterwards, yeah. um, but I can tell you that there is definitely this whole process you go through. I mean, the humility of accepting that you have to completely submit. Like, you know, as a clinician, I mean, my brain was hooked in, and then I was so sick, I was just existing. Like, I think the first five days I was in the hospital, I was so sick because all I did was vomit. I mean, honest to God, all I did was vomit, which, as everyone knows, is miserable. Um, I was that nauseous. They couldn't control it. And, um, you know, I, I had drains down into my stomach through my nose, which was an unpleasant process. I was like, anything you think about these things that you've done to a patient, you know, I've done to yourself, they're, they're worse than what you think they are. And so I think that, you know, there's this whole concept of, I had to submit this whole concept of submission. I had to just accept that other people were taking care of me, that they had my best interests at heart, that my body needed to heal. I had to go to a place other than where I was. I, I thought a lot about water because I, I wasn't allowed to drink anything. I was so thirsty. It was ridiculous. So I just dreamed about waterfalls and water and thought about beautiful waterfalls I had seen in Hawaii, thought about being in the ocean, which to me is a very calming kind of thing. Um, and so that's a lot of what I thought about, just how grateful I was that I was still like hanging in there, that I had very dedicated, I had a very dedicated team of physicians. I had decent nursing care. It was like great or not great. It was nowhere in between. There was nothing in between. Um, and then, you know, once I started getting that IV nutrition, I started to perk up a little bit. I had one day where I felt really sorry for myself and I let myself cry and I felt sorry for myself. And then I was like, screw this. This is not the way I'm going to get better. I need to like get my head back in the game. Cause my goal is to get out. My goal is to get home to my kids. My goal is to get home to my family. Um, and I want to give this Ted talk, which is always like the number two thing. Um, and so the second week I thought a lot about, um, burgers. That's all I thought about with burgers. <laughs> I wanted meat. I haven't eaten. I I've been, I've been eating chicken and fish and, you know, poultry and fish for years. That was always been my protein source. All of a sudden I was dreaming about burgers and I wanted, I wanted a grass fed beef burger and I've eaten more burgers and grass fed beef since I left the hospital than I have in the last 20 years. Wow. Clearly my body knew what it wanted. 
Um, but that whole process of, you know, being very nervous to eat because my, my digestive system was so messed up by this point. I look like I was five months pregnant and I'm a tiny person. So looking five months pregnant, not being pregnant and trying to like process, like I couldn't put like pants on because my belly was so big. Um, acknowledging that everything had kind of gone to sleep. It's your body's way of reminding you, you know, your body just really can't take a lot of sustenance. So the whole concept of submission that I mentioned, and then just feeling so much love. Um, I, I felt an outpouring of love from friends and family. I mean, obviously I was off of social media, but my team was still posting for me on my behalf, which is why a lot of people didn't know where I was. Um, just feeling so much love and prayers and just the power of um, you know, spiritually, religiously, whatever you believe in, the universe, God, whoever you believe in, just acknowledging that the power of prayer is profound, um, so much so that I felt the love. Like, I felt like I was just wrapped up in, and I'm not normally a woo-woo person, but I just felt so much love that I knew by week two that I was going to get out of there and I was going to be fine and I was going to do fine. Um, but yeah, the, it's a real spiritual kind of awakening that you know, you're in a position where I've taken care of sick people for 20 years. And then all of a sudden I am that sick person. Mm. And now I have to, um, you know, assume a different role. It's like, turn your brain off, let people do the things they need to do for you. Um, you know, it became a running joke because I wanted to get out of the bed every day and I wanted to walk in the halls. Cause I felt like if I could still walk, I wasn't that sick. Mm. And so, you know, they would laugh, they'd see me with my pole and I'd be walking through the hospital, um, on the floor I was on. And it was really just to assure my, my, my bot Assure, assure my brain and my body that they were no longer like disconnected. Um, I've got to just unlock the door. Yeah. 11 year old's going to ring the doorbell if I don't. Um, yeah, but what an incredible kind of experience to, um, there's just nothing, there, there's no other way to describe it being completely um, in a submissive kind of mindset where you're just grateful to have the good care that you have. And, and had I been somewhere else, I don't know if I would have had the same outcome. My Surgeon said to me more than once, she said, if you were the average 40-something woman who was diabetic and obese and didn't take care of themselves and smoked, you could have died. Um, he's still knocking on the door. Um, you could have died or there could have been an, a, you know, a different outcome. You might not have recovered as well as you did because you rebounded quickly. And that's mm. always goes back to the same thing. Like if you need the validation that taking care of yourself is important, I look at the complete 360 I did in a month's time. Um, you know, when I hit that one month mark of being, you know, from, I went in on the 17th of February, got out on March 2nd, sorry, got That's out weird. on March 2nd. He's knocking on the door. He's a very smart little boy and he's knocking on the door. <laughs> the door's unlocked. Um, it, it's, it's amazing how quickly the body can heal. Cause I remember I had to go out and look for a dress for TEDx. That was like, you know, the week two mark when I, you know, had been out of the hospital and I was like, okay, I need to go look for a dress. And then I was out and realized I was like, wow, I really, life has changed a lot in a month. It's just, uh, it's been quite a, quite a journey for sure. So what are some of the things, what are some non-negotiables, some sort of like high performing habits that you do to get to where you are? You're obviously doing well. You, you're successful. You have a great mindset. You're a great speaker. You know, how does, how do you, you know, how do you perform at a high level? What are some of the things that you do on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, sleep is really, really critical. Um, my family thinks it's funny that sometimes I'm the first one to go to bed, but seven to eight hours a night of like super high quality sleep is non-negotiable. Like if I don't sleep well, no one's going to do well in my house. Um, you know, nutrition is number two. I think that 
you know, the, the quality of the food that we eat has a huge impact on how we feel, um, has a huge impact on the kind of neurotransmitters that we make in our guts, um, on our mood, on our energy levels. And then, you know, I think it's really important that we move our bodies every day. I think we've just kind of gotten conditioned that, you know, movement isn't important. And I always say, I use the term movement because sometimes people, you know, if you say exercise, people are like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, but I really missed having the opportunity to move my body uh, when I was so sick. And then, you know, lastly, you got to do something that you, that, something that makes you joyful. And I don't care if it's listening to a book on audiobooks or engaging in a podcast interview or, um, you know, being around people that you love and you enjoy, but doing something that connects you to um, a happy place. I mean, I, I think fulfillment's really critical. And, and for someone, for everyone that's different, um, you know, one of the things that I'd like to focus on um, too is just, I've got, I'm a big wanderluster. I'm always planning my next trip. That's always critical for me. I always have to be planning something in my mind um, because that's, that's my wanderlusting, you know, kind of tendencies. I'm always thinking about the next place I can go. Um, yeah. It's open. Sorry. That's okay. He's 11. Knucklehead. That's, that's all yeah. right. But I would say those things. Oh, and the other thing is you got to read. Um, I probably at any given moment have, and this is embarrassing because I just keep buying more books or I keep downloading more books to my, my phone. Um, you got to read. You got to stimulate your brain. You've got to do, you know, personal development stuff. You've, you know, read a good autobiography. Um, read something that, you know, stimulates your brain. Um, What's your favorite laugh. book? What's your favorite book right off the top? Oh, I would say, you know, right now, no, no, I would say right now, you know, what book I really enjoyed reading um, was Headstrong. That was probably oh, like, yeah. last. I like that book, but there's also like, I'm in the midst of reading, um, again, for the second time, The Four Tendencies by, um, by Gretchen Rubin. And then there's other things like, I'm looking at my books over here. Obesity Co. was one that I just read that I enjoyed. I love oh, anything yeah. by Jason Fung. Um, dope sick is really good. That's talking about the opiate crisis in the country. So I've always got like, and if I tell you, I've got a stack of books on the floor. Do you read anything to Dr. Joe Dispenza? I have not read anything. Oh, you have to. What's your I'm favorite title? Becoming Supernatural. I'm reading it right okay. now. It is unbelievable. He is okay. unbelievable. I'm writing it down. Read any of his talks. He's been on Ed Milet. He's been on Tom Bilio. He is so good at explaining meditation in a way that actually makes sense and isn't woo-woo. He I talks about the energy systems in your body, how we take from these energy systems and how we're taking away from the other, the, the, you know, the magnetic field or whatever we have around us. There's all these things. And he just goes through them and explains them in such an amazing way. And he's had profound effects on people's lives. Like, Ooh, I, I love Dr. Joe Dispenza. You got to check this out. I'm reading his book right now and it's just like amazing. And He's got a couple other ones. You are the placebo. He's got a couple other ones, but I would start with some of his videos. Like he is just, he is just something else. Like, do you know what I just downloaded to my, um, my audiobooks is Byron Kelly. Have you heard of her? I've heard. I've heard. Okay. So she just did a podcast with Lewis Howes. If you, if you're oh, familiar yeah. with school. Of okay. So I never listened to podcasts twice ever. There's never any need. I listened to this podcast twice because I felt like she spoke to me. It was, it was like, I was, I was destined to listen to this woman. And so now she's like completely on my radar, but she is kind of like a, and not woo as in like, she's like a Reiki person, but um, has kind of a newfound perspective on, you know, depression and, and our outlook on 
um, our interactions with people and you know what is truth what is not truth how does that impact our ability to be disappointed or upset um, and so it was really really interesting so you have to look that up if you if you watch if you listen to um, school of greatness that was probably one of the po best podcasts I've listened to in a while it just spoke to me you know sometimes it's the right for podcast sure. at the right time for um, sure and it's sometimes taking a topic that may seem you know, woo or may seem out there. And then somebody that has a good way of, of kind of personalizing it to you, you know, like yeah. somebody that I follow a lot is Aubrey Marcus. Mm -hmm. And he's somebody that has a lot of really, really amazing um, insight. And the way he speaks, stuff that I wouldn't care about. But now since he's talked about it, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people like that. And I mean, in hopes, like that's what, you know, and that's what you do as well. And that's what I'm hoping to do is being able to talk and explain things in a way that people actually get interested in these things. Correct. Correct. And it's, it's so awesome because, you know, it's kind of like the history professor. One history professor could be teaching the same stuff. One is super, super boring. And then one, you're just, you can't get enough of it. Right. And that's, I think that's really critical, you know, that ability to connect, you know, it's interesting. So here's a bit of advice. If you ever do, ever do a YouTube video, don't ever read the comments. So like after day one, I just stopped reading the comments. Oh, there's, some of them are not nice. And so, um, uh, you know, YouTube people, comments are just like scum, oh, some of them brutal. are scum of the earth. Oh, it's, it's totally brutal. Like my, my team reads the good ones because they like to pluck them and use them for advertising. But you know, they were like, don't read the comments anymore. And so I just stopped. <laughs> it's not good for me. But a lot of the, a lot of what I read was people saying, well, why didn't you spend more time talking about this? Or why didn't you spend more time talking about that? I'm like, you get 12 minutes and I had to cut two or three minutes out of my talk. So I literally was like up there, watch the clock spin down. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to cut two or three minutes out and not look like a deer caught in a headlight um, and try to just spin forward. So just acknowledging that sometimes you don't have enough time to talk about a topic. So but, you know, diluting a topic down enough to keep it simple so that people understand. And that was my, my great impetus. And, and, and I, even when I worked as a nurse practitioner, I'd always say, this is a big fancy way of saying X, because if you can, if you can explain a complicated topic and explain it and dilute it down enough that most people understand it, that's, that's the gift yeah. because anyone can get up there and they can use all the medical ease they want and all the medical terminology and like 2% of the people that view it understand what the hell they're saying. Uh, um, you know, there's no value in that. You're not speaking to the masses. You know, if you want to create big impact, you've got to have a way to dilute um, some of the technical jargon so that the average person, much like me, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an engineer, but if you stuck me in an engineer discussion, I would want the engineer to dilute things down enough so that I could say, okay, that conceptually yeah. makes sense to me. Um, although that's not my area of expertise. So that is a gift. And I agree with you that, you know, you can inspire people to do great things if you have a message that um, really confers that you care yeah. uh, first and foremost, and that you have something worth sharing. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's how you communicate is really, I mean, you, you almost, I've heard the stat that you have to communicate at almost like a, a, a grade five level. Yes. I agree even with in that. your marketing, even the way yeah. you're speaking, because that's, and they say that's why Trump ended up winning is because uh. well, that, it's crazy. Yes. It's crazy. Like yeah. it, when you think about it though, it's like, you know, you have to be able to get into the minds of the, of the majority of people, right? That's very and, true. And, and yeah. I think sometimes, um, I know when I first started as an entrepreneur, you know, have to remember I'm used to writing in hospital charts. I'm used to writing like journal level stuff where they expect to be very, you know, use a certain kind of diction and, and discussions and all of that. 
Um, and now, I mean, I, I write very differently if I'm writing for um, clients or if I'm communicating on social media. And sometimes mm -hmm. I, I have to like fight my tendencies not to, to write the way I speak, but acknowledging that you want the information to be accessible. Like that's mm -hmm. one of the things I love about Twitter is that you only have so many characters with to communicate. So you might as well make them very effective uh, um, instead of using, you know, your $10 words. This so. is why sometimes I'm, I'm actually grateful that I didn't go to and get a big education in, in, in communication because I find that I don't have that huge vocabulary so I can speak at more of, I don't know. I don't want to say like, un, like understandable level. I wish I had a better vocab, but I mean, sometimes I feel like I, the way I speak is a little bit easier for some people to understand than when some people that have this crazy vocabulary and they don't even understand half the words. But I mean, obviously that's a great skill as well. It just depends I mean, on who you're but speaking you, to. But you know what's interesting is I think the playing ground is being leveled because there are a lot of people on social media who have a lot of degrees who can't connect. Mm. And then I see people who do amazing things that, I mean, they, and to me, it's not important. It's more about the person. What does the person have to offer? Um, someone on social media was saying, well, you always are so respectful of me. And I said, that's silly. Why would I not be respectful of you? I mean, to me, the degree things, it just shows me that you've done training. It doesn't necessarily impress me. Mm. And so I think it's important. Can you communicate in a way that's effective? And can you communicate in a way that you can connect with the people that are following you? That's mm. really what it comes down to. If you're savvy enough to be able to do that, you're golden. And it's less about what I, what I don't like though is sometimes, you know, some of the comments when I, that first day when I read them were like, well, she's just a nurse. You know, she's not a doctor. She can't possibly know what she's talking about. And I was like, whatever. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know. Just want to be like, just want to pop them one. <laughs> well, no, I, I kind of look at them like, well, I mean, shame on you because you don't recognize that there are lots of people who have differing titles after their names. And, you know, everyone's got differing perspectives. And, and to be quite fair, I mean, none of us in Western medicine get much nutrition training. That's something I went back and did beyond mm. my degree. But yeah, I'm, I'm so you know, grateful for the opportunity to be on. And, and I, I think you know, you've got a great um, you know, kind of marketing and interviewing style that you know, sets you apart. I've been on a lot of podcasts. Okay. So I feel like I can say that you know, very comfortably. Uh, thank you. I just like to have a conversation and see where it goes. And you've, this has been awesome. I mean, I got to respect your time because I could talk to you for hours. This is so easy. <laughs> the time flew by, you know? Um, I just, I always want to ask one thing, mm -hmm. obviously where we can find you and you know, what, what are you working on right now? Because yep. I, I really want to, you know, send people your way because thank you're you. awesome. And thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on, um, social media, CHT wellness, Twitter, Instagram, um, as well as Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn, but that's really more of like, you know, like the closeted professional crowd. Um, we, I just co-authored a book with Primal Man on Twitter called Primal Eating um, that is available for digital download. We are eventually going to do a paper book. Um, and then probably the next thing I'm doing, I've been kind of cultivating a um, intermittent fasting group. It's a free group right now that we're going to do a one-week challenge on Facebook. And that may transition into a program just based on demand, I'm just seeing a lot of people want the support and all those other things. So all sorts of exciting things going on. But yeah, if you go to www.chtwellness.com, that's my website. And there's always, we always have lots of great free information and ways to get a hold of us. Awesome. We'll have all that in the show notes. You got any talks coming up soon that we can look forward you know, to? 
It's funny. I turned down another TED talk. Um, mm-hmm. I was offered, I was a finalist in a TED med. Um, but I felt like after, um, after this TED talk, I felt like, you know, I, I, I just feel like I'm, I want to be grateful. I want to enjoy this. Um, yeah. we have some stuff coming up in the fall. Um, but I'm hoping to get more on the docket. My goal is to, um, get on national TV. So I've done a lot of like local stuff, but I want to awesome. be on some national TV, um, just for more exposure. Cause I think intermittent fasting is just, it's time for people to know about the topic and to be able to, um, you know, talk to their healthcare providers or their, you know, their trainers about this is an option. I have a lot of people messaging me saying that their trainers are telling them they've got to eat every two to three hours. It's like, no, you don't, <laughs> you really don't. Yeah. That'll never go away. It'll always be like that. You know? well, I think it's that old dogma. So one last question before we go, what is one tip for overcoming adversity that you can give the audience to go on to overcome whatever it is in their life and to go on to become successful in whatever it is they're doing? Great question. Um, I would say, you know, you ultimately want to focus on like, what is, what are you working towards? You know, I know for myself, you know, most recently it was always focused on like, what's the most important thing? Like if there's temporary pain or temporary adversity, I can get through that knowing I'm keeping my eye on the prize. I'm always looking forward. I don't look behind in my life. I'm always looking forward. Um, the other thing that I would say that kind of ties in with that is that um, I'm, a cl- I'm a glass half full kind of person. So I think the power of positive thinking, we know that um, you know, based on studies done on neuroplasticity, that our thoughts become our actions. So it's really, really important that our internal dialogue with ourselves is as positive as it can be. I mean, I'm a true realist, but... I do think that, you know, positive thoughts become positive actions. So if you're going through a tough time, just telling yourself, you know, making sure you've got the support systems in place, reaching out to people for assistance um, really can make a big difference when you're, you know, your back's up against the wall and you're going through a tough time. Amazing. That's cool. I really appreciate you coming on. That was a lot of fun. Thank you. That was, thank you so much. I, um, I look forward to seeing what you create and, you know, following you and, make sure I'll make sure to send people your, to the Ted talk as well, because thank you. And your first one was great as well. I mean, it, it, it was very specific. It's funny. I don't even think I would have chosen to talk about that, but I, I had a coach at the time who was kind of like, what's your niche? What do you do? And so that kind of got pushed into that. But um, yeah, I mean, I think intermittent fasting is so much more applicable to like yeah. everybody. Um, whereas that perimenopause is really just very niched in, you know, late thirties, mid forties, women and what they're kind of experiencing, but there's just not a lot of good information about it. Yeah, for sure. All that will be in the show notes. Everybody make sure you check out everything for Cynthia. This was, this was awesome. And thank you. Yeah. And I really appreciate it. So thanks everybody for joining us. Cynthia, Cynthia Thurlow, everybody. Hey everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was an amazing show. I appreciate all you guys hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And as always, I appreciate all you guys so much. So much love. Have an amazing day. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.